You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you guys ever wondered what perfect Disney movies look like? Have you guys ever thought that space pirates would be an awesome thing? Well, today on Systematic Ecology and this month's Retro Disney Review, we have exactly that because today we are covering quite possibly the single best Disney movie of all time in Treasure Planet. That means that we are, in fact, two of the priests of the geeks. I am Joe, one of your hosts here, and I am joined today by an unlikely person, but the man, the myth, the legend, TJ. How are we doing? I'm all right. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you were the when we first started talking about doing this movie, um, everybody was like, no, no, you have to have TJ on it. Like, it has to be TJ that you talk to about this. And uh, honestly, like, so so full transparency, guys, sometimes uh, technical issues, they do take place. And so this is actually our second time recording this. So. Oh, well, we've got to gush over this movie for another, you know, 45 minutes plus. But in preparation for doing this, uh, doing these episodes that are centered around um, like a show or a movie or whatever, in preparation for these, in preparation for these, uh, these movies or for these episodes, I'll, I'll go back and watch the material. And this was the first time that I watched this movie in a handful of years and from jump street right i was just whisked away into this world like the 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 scene that it starts off with and then it just goes from there and it's just this magical ride from from start to finish that words can barely do justice to you know what i mean yeah yeah this is i wouldn't say it's a perfect movie but it's close yeah you know i mean every establishing shot in the film is amazing especially the first one and the second one and the third one and the fourth one yeah the the storybook jim on his hoverboard montressor spaceport Silver ship, it's just, or, you know, Admiral, whatever ship. It's all great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I'm a sucker for breathtaking, right? I, I am I am a sucker for a world that if you can make me feel like this is a world that's lived in and a world that's immersive, you've got me. You've got me hooked. That will that will forgive many many sins, right? And and this movie, it starts off with for for those of you that haven't seen this movie, it starts off with Jim hearing a tale from which how nobody has has created holographic books like that is beyond me. Like there's a million dollar idea right there. But 
it's this story of space pirates and it's so beautiful in the way that it's shot that makes you makes you feel like you're taking a step forward into the future with with advancements in movie making and all of those kinds of things and then you realize this was made in the early 2000s which in my mind that blew my mind when i looked that up i looked it up when we were when we were watching it i'm like when was this when was this made because in my mind this is part of this kind of gets lumped into 90s era for me and and so you're you're watching this movie and you're like man this is like this this feels like this should be considered cutting edge you know what i mean and then it's it's made in the early 2000s and it just feels like everything since then has taken a step backwards not a step forward mm-hmm. yeah it's really to me this is right at the tail end of Disney's period of innovation, when Disney was actually doing things that were impressive. This is where it ends for me. Or, no, I'll say it's this, not Atlantis. Uh, because there's so much. This movie was almost a love letter to the genre of science fiction. It was so close. And then they purposefully bombed it so they wouldn't have to spend that much money on a movie ever again. So for those that don't that aren't aware, because I actually was not aware until um, Josh made a comment in another one of our retro Disney reviews that that was a thing, and I had no idea that that was a thing. So for those that don't have any idea of what you're talking about, why don't you smarten some people up? So basically, Treasure Planet is the most expensive animated film ever made. It costs, I want to say, $180 million to make. I'm just going to look it up real quick, but I'm pretty sure it was $180 million. Uh, and it made $110 million at the box office, which is a flop. But, it, okay, so it was $140 to make it. $140 million, most expensive animated movie ever. The reason for that is they use some really in-depth technology called Deep Canvas, which they also use for Tarzan and Atlantis, but they used it a lot more here. Uh, it's like a CGI background that is then painted over, and it allows you to move your camera through a painted background, which looks great. Uh, the most notable example is the vines that Tarzan surfs on in Tarzan, of course. But Disney was like, Wow, this costs too much. So they did not actually market it the way that they would normally market a Disney movie. You know, you didn't see it everywhere. It wasn't all over the place. And I'm really not old enough to remember. So all this is hearsay to me. I'm only three years older than this movie. But it came out around the same time as Lilo and Stitch. Lilo and Stitch was getting all of the airtime. All of the ad time was going to Lilo and Stitch. Because it was a lot cheaper to make Lilo and Stitch, and they knew they could make just as much money if it did well. So they just intentionally did not give that market space to Treasure Planet, so people wouldn't go see it. And they almost failed anyway, because, you know, $110 million is not a small amount of money to earn in a box office. Right. Unless you spent $140 million on the movie. Right. But that's basically what happened. And so being, um, I think a young preteen or a young teenager around this time, 
I, this, this, I could tell you that the culture at that point in time was one geared towards going out to the theaters. Theaters had at worst, this was still very much theaters day in the sun. Um, it, it didn't, it didn't cost a small fortune to take a family out to the movies at that point in time. And so I wonder what, what a movie looks like a movie like this looks like in IMAX or in like these large high definition deluxe theater settings, because that, that in and of itself, I think if you open that up in IMAX, you, you double your money in uh in quick fast and in a hurry but i can't especially because we're we the 80s and 90s are very very much a time of saturday morning cartoon was a a giant toy infomercial and every christmas time you got the big book from toys r us and in there were all the toys from all of the different shows and things and gimmicks and there was always another toy to buy and all that kind of stuff so, so track, track with me on this one, right? Okay. So it's, it's, it's Christmas morning and, and you could possibly be opening up a f- spaceship that is a pirate ship or a, a, a little moldable thing of, of morph. Oh, come on. That, that sells itself. You don't even need to like, you, you don't even need to try hard for that. You know what I mean? I only I yes, I'm I'm a little bit biased because I'm in marketing, but give me 30 seconds in a piece of paper and I'll make you a million dollars very very easily with just that concept alone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It helps that the sheer concept of their version of spaceships is so cool. Yeah. Cuz like you can design a really cool spaceship. It's going to look like a spaceship though. Right. They just said, "Hey, let's take pirate ships uh put hexagons on the sails call them solar sails which exist by the way they're awesome look it up really cool technology yep uh put some jets on the back and call it a day that's a spaceship yeah and they're right that's the coolest way to do a spaceship that's awesome yeah it's like yeah we'll just make up some scientific mumbo jumbo to explain it yeah uh in Treasure Planet, the space is called Ethereum, and you can you can breathe it when you're on the ship. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the size of it. You know what I mean? And honestly, I, I didn't. So so for those of you that are unaware, um, Treasure Planet is actually an adaptation of um, Treasure Island. I did not know this until we recorded the first time. And as as soon as TJ said it, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that makes that, yeah, that's that's a thing. Okay, I just I didn't realize it. I couldn't see past space pirates, and you know, to to what the actual you know source material was. But we had this conversation, and I'm curious to to get your to get your input. Best adaptation of Treasure Island. Yeah, yeah, it's Treasure Planet every time, easily. Yeah. Muppets Treasure Island is good though. It is a it is a really good adaptation of Treasure Island. Yeah. Respectable second place. I will call I would call that yeah. a respectable second place. Yeah. Respectable but very very far away. Right. 
Yeah, respectable, but from a few thousand feet below, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So one of the things that I I found so compelling about this movie is you know there's always there's always drama beats there's always human human stories that that kind of propel the the story forward when you have these kinds of movies you need something of some kind of substance to carry the plot forward and i'm watching this movie and i'm struck by the fact that these guys decided to go this the spider-man route of character development with jim Jim's our, our protagonist of this thing. He's the kid turned teenager, turned delinquent, turned hero. And this movie details Jim's father walking out on them. The mom's still struggling to, to keep a business going while raising a kid. And Jim wondering who he is in this world. And to me... For my, in my opinion, pound for pound, this may be the best real life character development that I've seen out of a Disney movie. And by that, I mean, yeah, there's other movies that have tackled hard subjects or complicated subjects, but this is one that sat in it. This is one that allowed for people to be imperfect and flawed and didn't cupcake it all to oh now they're they used to be the villain and now they're the squeaky clean hero no jim's never the squeaky clean hero out of this whole thing yeah i feel like i don't know what was going on in like the very early 2000s at disney but they just decided like hey let's go as hard as we possibly can on these next two movies because atlantis and Treasure Planet just feel wildly different than Disney's entire catalog. And they're better, you know, but that's just me personally. Yeah, I feel like these these movies that we're talking about now are to a certain generation what movies like Lion King and Aladdin are for my generation. You know, if people ask me, when you think of Disney, what do you think of? I'll, my my favorite Disney movie of all time is Aladdin, and you know you, those are those are gigantic shoes to fill. Those are monster shoes to fill, especially having lived through the craze at the time. Lion King was literally on everything, and it's it's interesting to me, even if it costs more money. Why you wouldn't lean into trying to create your next big franchise, like your next big cash cow? Because the, when when you talk about Lion King, right? What everybody when you when you ask people what what mental image comes to your mind when you think of Lion King, most people are going to say the Mufasa scene where he's in where his spirit is in the sky and all of that. And I remember that was that was simultaneously breathtaking and terrifying for me as a kid that scared the crap out of me as a kid. And, but, but it's so, it's so beautiful and, and grandiose in scale. 
from Jump Street, like we're talking from opening scene. I'm gonna, I'm uh, guys, fe- fellow fellow thirty somethings. You can you can send the hate mail to systematic ecology at gmail.com. But the the opening scene of Treasure Planet is larger in scale and grandeur than anything that Lion King has to offer. And to me, yeah, hindsight's 2020 and all that, but yeah, like th- this is this is an event. I, I can just like I said, give me give me 30 seconds in a piece of paper and and I'll make you a million dollars. I'll make you I'll make you two million if I'm allowed to make a make a theme park attraction out of it too. You know what I mean? You know how good a treasure planet roller coaster, not the pirate ship thingy that goes in a circle. That still <laughs> would have been lame, even if it was treasure planet themed. But you know how good a treasure planet roller coaster would have been? Right. Even like in one of those interactive movie like cart on rails things would have been awesome for treasure yeah. planet yeah i remember when i was seven i was at disney and there was a star wars ride that um was was basically like that it was basically like an interactive movie but on a cart experience where the cart shook and moved and and different things like that but it was like taking you through an immersive experience and i'm just in my mind imagining with our current vr technology on a cart like that just how ridiculous and you don't even need to update the graphics because the graphics are are 10 times better than 90% of what we have to it modern like that that those graphics 100% hold up and so that transplanted onto VR on like a movable cart and all of that kind of stuff shut up and take my money I'll fly to Orlando right now just for that yeah you know those like obnoxious I don't think Disney World actually has one of these but you know have you ever been to a theme park that has like the 4D movie where, oh, nope, there's one in Animal Kingdom uh, under the big tree. I don't forget what the show is called, but like you sit in the chair, there's a stinger in it. It stings you when the wasps come. It has the smells. That would be, I would watch the entirety of Treasure Planet in one of those chairs. Oh, man, that would Especially be awesome. Like when they're surfing off the, you know, explosion of the supernova. Yeah. Imagine just feeling the heat wash over you from the back and the chair lurch forward. Oh, this is free money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Disney, it, uh, we know we know you're listening. We know the powers that be at the mouse is uh, they're listening. So, guys, we are literally printing you money right now. This is this is free, free, free million dollars, million dollar ideas just getting thrown out left, right and center. Yeah. I say, honestly, put it in Animal Kingdom. Put it right where the current one is. Don't yeah. explain yourself. Just do it. Just don't explain yourself. It's fine. Yeah. People what don't care. Oh, the Circle of Life or something? Yeah, Everyone something like that. that show after the first time. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, so this movie, Jim is an, is an any man for teenagers. And that's part of what makes Spider-Man the most profitable IP of all time, because it is a story that's told 
from a perspective of of a teenager that could be you, could be me, could be anybody. Now, no, we're not we're not all getting bitten by radioactive spiders, but we're all going through the trials and tribulations of being a teenager. And yeah, I'm I'm a little bit closer than the average bear to some of the finer points of Jim's character, but regardless, I think everybody, not I think, I know everybody goes through moments of of identity crisis. And and I think I think as as adults it becomes painfully obvious that who you are is a process. Figuring out who you are is something that evolves over time. And reconciling all of that is something that, whether it's it's through space pirates, through a kid that was bitten by a spider, or or any of the other ex- examples of this this type of storytelling, this this storytelling device, if it's done well, then what you have is the ability for two people of two different generations to be able to come together and gush over this movie twice. We still have plenty of plenty of things to say, even the second time of talking about this awesome movie and it just I, i'm what i i have a working theory as far as all of this goes i think my appreciation for this movie has grown the older that i get and since becoming a christian because as a christian especially a christian that i i've i've seen too much to to play in the sandbox of little quippy things and and um uh, drive by drive by evangelism and and nonsense i i've seen too much and so so for somebody like me immersing myself in the realities of god has an impact on who i am what my identity is all of those kinds of things so so for me getting a chance to watch somebody reconcile who they are what they stand for who they want to be, what they want to stand for, doing the right thing, you know, all of those kinds of things. I mean, there's, it, it's, it's so resonant. Yeah. It's, I mean, that kind of thing is to be expected when you're talking about the perfect movie. <laughs> uh, but it really is amazing. If you haven't seen Treasure Planet for some reason, it's on Disney Plus. Watch yep. it. I had it downloaded on Disney Plus for a long time. I would just watch it all the time. Uh, yep. When it came out, I watched it for every every day for like two weeks. And then a couple times a week. And then once a week. Now I watch it once every like two weeks. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's... There's just not that much to say at the end of it all. Because it's all the same thing being repeated over and over again. This movie is borderline perfect. Yeah. Also, if you want a snapshot into what music was like at that time in history, um, oh, I challenge, and I know what I'm saying when I say this, I challenge any Disney movie, step up, try and say, 
that you have a better soundtrack than this movie. And I mean, every other Disney movie can try and ultimately fail at trying to produce a better a better soundtrack. Like banger after banger. And this is one of those movies that Disney finally said, okay, so what if we just licensed a song that already exists and put it into one of our movies? And yeah. and by George, it worked. Perfectly. It yeah. worked perfectly. If I mean definitely, if we're not counting Disney Pixar, at least for me. This is the best Disney soundtrack, in my opinion. If we do count Disney Pixar, I still think Ratatouille is on top. That's just a me thing. Michael Giacchino is a genius. And I love France. Uh, French music uh, is fantastic to me. So that's not fair. I'm biased, and that opinion should be discarded. Treasure Planet is the best Disney soundtrack. But there's so much teenage angst in the... Well, I guess there are two licensed songs in Treasure Planet, but yeah. specifically Jim's theme, I'm Still Here. It, it feels like Jim wrote it. Yeah. Like, it, it's angsty. It is poignant. It, it really sounds like it's just Jim singing. Yeah. And f I, I'm going to give a shout for all of you guys that out there listening that are of a particular vintage like I am. Um, there is a song on the soundtrack that if you dig the Goo Goo Dolls, you will love this because I actually had to look it up. It's not the Goo Goo Dolls. When you listen to it, you'll know exactly what I mean, but it certainly sounds very, very similar to that style of music, that era of music, and specifically the Goo Goo Dolls. And they are one of my... 90s guilty pleasures and i don't even call them a guilty pleasure because i think they're horribly underrated but to the eyes of other people it's a bit of a guilty pleasure yeah it's just man as far as sci-fi goes as far as film goes there are not enough good things to say about treasure planet yeah if, if you do want like a really in-depth explains all the science it makes logical sense if that's what you want out of your science fiction, you should watch this anyway. But that's not what you're going to get. Right. They, they kind of focus on the fiction. Yeah. But that's half the equation. Well, they, the one thing, uh, the one caveat that I'll, that I'll add to that is it's not that they just focus on the fiction. And in sci-fi, they definitely put the fi in sci-fi. But... Where that effort goes to, rather than being a science-based science fiction movie, it is a people-based science fiction movie. They they will use fiction where they need to to be a vehicle to get people to get the story from point A to point B. But guys, if 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 you haven't figured this out yet, the story is the best part. Like, and and that's in, that's I the the story the uh cinematics and the soundtrack are like points 1a 1b and 1c don't ask me to to pick between my kids i don't want to but they're like this this story is so rich in in character and nuance i mean honestly even even the the 
I, I call him the sidekick, but you know, the, the family friend, right? Dr. Doppler, mm-hmm. where, where that would have been so easy for it to just go the way of, Hey Jim, this is your new dad. And then Jim be like, Hey, new dad, you're my new dad. And that's what the story is going to be. No, he was just as much like a kid as Jim was. He had that childlike wonder about him and and just amazement at everything that it felt like two friends going off on an adventure. And that's before you even get to all of the other stuff, which seriously, I understand that they turned around and ended up putting stitch on everything. And it's mother during that time. I get it. But like morph you, you left a billion dollars on the floor. Like you just, you know what I mean? Like that. And, and to me, so I think about a movie like this and I think about a movie like Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace had Jar Jar and Jar Jar is a very, very divisive character in movies. And it would have been so easy to make morph Jar Jar where it's just, okay, we're going along the story. Stop for comedy. We're going along the story. Stop for comedy and so on and so forth and have, and have this, this thing just be a device for telling jokes and humor and things like that. But like, no, no, this is, and this is me guys. I don't outside of a, of a handful of comedies. I'm not usually a comedy kind of guy. I like comedians. I like people telling jokes, but I don't typically find comedies funny. This while it's not by by no means as a comedy, the this hit, the the character of Morph is absolutely supposed to be the comedic relief of the movie, and is done in a way that still allows for there to be some character presence and some pomp and some reason for him to be there, rather than just the object of laughter. Yeah, I, I will say. They did kind of give in to the Jar Jar-ness. Not on Morph, but on Ben. Mm. But he's only in the last act of the movie. And I don't think he's that. He's definitely not as bad as Jar Jar. I don't think he's as bad as most people think he is in general. Right. But there is only one one-dimensional character in this movie. And it's not Morph. The speechless pink ooze. He's not one-dimensional. Right. It's the minor antagonist, Scroop. He's yeah. one dimensional. That dimension is evil. Yep. But he's yeah. still cool. And that's and sometimes sometimes all the all the story really actually needs at the end of the day is a mustache swirling villain. You know what I mean? Not every single villain is this, you know, um, thesis statement on how to write a compelling villain. Sometimes all you need in a story is is mustache twirling. And if you can get that, that's enough to progress forward the story. So I wouldn't even, like, while I absolutely agree with you that he is mustache twirling and absolutely just a villain, that's that doesn't take away from the overall story because you need something to be fighting against during that time. He he dies anyway. Yeah. And you get to cheer silver. However, 
Long John Silver is the perfect antagonist because you know, you know the whole time he is the villain. And yeah. Jim knows it at first too. And you watch him slowly start to forget. Then he remembers all of a sudden. It's like, ah, you've been tricking me. Awesome. I'm going to steal this map and I'm going to run away. Yep. And then they, you know, this, they're back together. Well, more or less. They actually grow a close bond. Yeah. Through it all. In a very realistic way. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Doppler is not the father figure. No. Silver is. Right. The antagonist is the father figure. Yeah. It's like Star Wars if it was good. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so this this movie, honestly, I, I almost shudder to think about where else we can go with the retro Disney review because this is one of those movies that like it, it hits a it hits a zenith. Like in in certain regards, we can we can pack up shop now. We can call it a day. We found perfect, and you're not going to get better than perfect. There's other there are other good movies, but but this is one of those that this if if you were wondering what it's like to touch the sun as a movie, this is this is what we've got. You know, yeah. and one of the things that I appreciate the most about this is in the in the 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 big crescendo of the movie, what do we see? Jim doing he's riding essentially a hoverboard right what do we see at the beginning of the the first time that we see him as a teenager he's riding a hoverboard through a restricted area again this isn't a matter of Jim was bad and then he's good no no he used those delinquent skills to save the day they didn't force him to become something fake. They took a character and said, you know what? Humans have shades of gray. You still have shades of gray, but maybe those shades of gray are starting to point towards the heroic rather than continuing to get into trouble. Maybe this is your moment of redemption, but as you, as an individual, redemption doesn't just mean that you no longer you're perfect now. You do all of the right things. No, this is authentic redemption displayed beautifully, and not for the sake of redemption. Right, it's for a greedy purpose. Yeah, but he becomes a hero through these actions. Yeah, inadvertently, and realizes that's what he wants to be. I also love I'm I think I might be thinking of this for the first time just now. I don't think they ever talk about how smart Jim is in the movie. Ever. They never mention I don't it. Think I don't so. think they mention it in passing. Jim is a mechanical genius. Yeah. He's the only person who could work the treasure map to Treasure Planet. He creates hoverboards, which, you know, sure, if I had the technology, I could probably figure it out eventually. He did it on an exploding planet while it was exploding. Yep. And it uh, it failed, and he restarted it, falling through the air, using a wall. That was awesome. No, no, that nothing was... in the movie would have happened if Jim wasn't a genius. It's very true. Also, I think just a little while ago, I figured out 
probably the perfect analogy for Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet is the interstellar of animation. Huh. Okay. I just think the story's better. Yeah. And the music. Sorry, Hans Zimmer. I love Hans Zimmer. The interstellar soundtrack's fantastic. But it's not Treasure Planet. Right. Right. It's not Treasure Planet. So, anything else before we uh, head to the wrap-up? If some 40-odd minutes aren't enough convincing, please go watch Treasure Planet. Your life will be categorically enriched by watching this movie. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. Just do it. It's not Just even long. It. No. It's also perfect length for a movie. Yes. Yes. So, I am, I am of the opinion that... Marvel's biggest sin was introducing the normality of three hour long movies. I, I There's no actual reason for a movie to be three hours long. No actual movie should be that long. And so for this, all of this stuff, all everything going on, it, it was it stuck around as long as it needed to stuck, to stick around. And honestly, I think if a movie like that is made today, it would not do nearly as well because they would try and put more scenes into it that were unnecessary for the story to pad it out to two, two and a half hours long. And we're talking, what, sub 90 minutes? I think it's 86. Yeah, I think that, that sounds right. And it tells such a deep and enriched story in such a short period of time it's oh. it's fantastic it's 95 oh there you go well still 95 minutes but that's that's really that is the sweet zone yeah like 90 to 100 minutes i think that's perfect yeah so many movies so yeah so with that let's go ahead and head into the wrap-up so let the people know what have you been geeking out on and what recommendations do you have for the people so past couple days i was geeking out on vagabond it is a manga series about miyamoto musashi a legendary japanese philosopher and swordsman uh i caught up i thought the series was finished i caught up uh the series has been on hiatus for seven years and no one told me that. So now I'm telling you all that. It's worth reading. But if you don't want to wait for it to finish, don't start it. But it is worth reading. I do recommend it, actually. Also, Treasure Planet. Watch Treasure Planet, obviously. But read Vagabond. It's awesome. Yeah. I First and foremost, if if you haven't gotten it yet, I'll just say it one more time. If you need a recommendation and need your life to be better after 95 minutes, watch this movie. But I've recently been geeking out on um, a, an indie comic that recently that I recently stumbled upon. And I'm going to throw this out there for all of you people that are in the same bracket that I am, that grew up with movies like this and in that time period. All I'm going to say is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 50 years in the future, post-apocalyptic world, Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer. Oh, it's so stinking good. And they released the first four issues 
as a single and you can go and and pick that up. This is the it, it's funny. We have a we have a, a running joke that whenever um, whenever Will can't do the uh, the comic book hot pick uh, post, I tend to do it. And Will will usually pick something from one of the big two. And then I usually come in with some ridiculous indie comic because I think that indie indie uh, companies are hands down putting out the best material right now because it's stuff like this, right? And this is made by Boom Studios, which if you haven't heard me gush over Boom Studios yet, they're the ones who have the IP for Power Rangers that basically gave it a whole new life as a comic book. And yes, they they there was there was comics before the Power Rangers comics before Boom Studios, but Boom has been doing amazing, and it's almost like they know exactly who their audience is. Their audience are thirty somethings who have been begging for gritty takes on the IP that they grew up with, and that is exactly what this is. So you need to go, you need to read it, and then you need to reread it again. Take a break, watch Treasure Planet, and then go and reread it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. So that is that is a wrap for us today. Um, if you find yourself, if you listen to this whole thing, and you're like, "Man, these guys, these guys are brilliant," I need to I need to figure out how to how to help, how to how to put put in my two cents, so to speak. If you would like to do that, you can head on over to Patreon.com slash systematic geekology and there are there's so much bonus content over there and you get to help us keep the lights on and keep doing what we love to do and if you are still in need of hearing more from our illustrious panel of hosts and all of the ridiculous amount of side projects that we have going on, you can go to systematicgeekology.org, navigate over to the host tab, and you can find out more about us, hear the other projects that we're all part of, all of that fun stuff. But until next time, friends, remember, we are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.